Today's reading is from John 10, 11 to 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He who is a hard hand and not a shepherd, who does not own his own sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches and scatters them. He flees because he is a hard hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. We're looking today at this, uh, I suppose, fairly familiar title or topic, that Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Um, and I'm, I'm going to try and uh, just help you to understand it a little better, help myself to understand it a bit better, and um, as we'll go through these verses together. Um, so we're going to be thinking, uh, first of all, what is a Good Shepherd? Just so that we're all on the same page with that. What is a good shepherd? The second thing that we're going to be asking ourselves as we go through is why do we need one? It's all very well having a good shepherd, but why do we need one? Why is it good news? And the third thing we'll ask then is what difference does it make? So what is a good shepherd? Why do we need one? And what difference does it make anyway? Um, Jesus, in, in uh, this section uh, that we're looking at, has just been addressing the crowd. He's healed a man who is blind, a man who's born blind. And, and astoundingly, Jesus sort of comes under attack for doing that. Um, as we've been seeing over the last few weeks, sometimes seeing a miracle or experiencing a miracle is not enough to provoke faith. We think to ourselves, wow, if I just saw a big miracle, I would believe. But as we've been seeing, there is a certain type of person that will, can see as many miracles as they want, but will never believe because they don't want to believe. They'll always find some reason to get around it. Anyway, this is what's going on. Jesus has healed this blind man in, in uh, John chapter 9, and, um, and he comes under attack for that, and uh, he has this sort of, uh, I suppose, an, another encounter uh, with these Jewish leaders. But now he goes on the offensive, I suppose, and he starts talking about who he is, the kind of, um, the kind of teacher, the kind of uh, savior that he is. And he says there, in our verses, we'll look at these together, uh, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And then he explains what that looks like for the rest of his teaching. Um, and I suppose right off the bat, when, we, when we're sitting here this morning thinking of a, a shepherd, um, we, 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 it's not something we're necessarily familiar with, and particularly uh, you know, if we live in a city or a town, uh, we're not too familiar with, with shepherds. Um, and, and we're not really helped, I think, by... Um, sort of soft focus pictures that we've maybe seen in the past of a sort of uh, dreamy-eyed Jesus with a, with a fluffy sheep around his neck, sort of romantic looking. Um, instead, the, the, the image that we get from Scripture, and, and certainly in, in other parts of the world even today, uh, shepherds are hardened, um, hardened individuals. They're rugged. They're working men. Uh, they're used to working in all and every conditions, um, and, and their job would, would be, and it is, to, to lead the sheep to the right spot, uh, the right pastures. It's, it's to help the sheep to thrive, because when the sheep are thriving, the shepherd's <laughs> thriving. Um, 
And so uh, the, the shepherd in this context would be prepared to defend the sheep at all costs, defend them against predators, against bad weather, that sort of thing. And I suppose um, we do have uh, shepherds here, no doubt about that, but maybe think of, uh, you know, fishermen from Kilkeel or farmers or, you know, just this sort of hardened, rugged type individuals. These are the sort of uh, people that we're talking about here. But anyway, Jesus portrays himself as a shepherd, as, as the leader of the flock. But what is it that makes Jesus specifically good? Why is he a good shepherd, not just, I am a shepherd? I'm a good shepherd, he says. Well, in verse 11, I'm a good shepherd. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We see in verse 15, the second half of verse 15, I lay my life down for the sheep. Or in verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay my life down. That's what makes him good. He's a good shepherd because he is willing right, to protect his sheep. Um, he's, he's willing to pay the ultimate price, whatever price it is, to protect them, to defend them, to step into the place of danger, and to fight to death if necessary to ensure that they have life. I am a good shepherd. It makes him very good indeed. But that's not all we get from this. In verse 14, right, uh, look down again. He says, I'm a good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. There seems to be relationship here. This, this intimacy between the shepherd and the sheep. I know my own. Earlier, it's not printed on your sheets, but in, in um, uh, John 10, for example, Jesus says, I call my sheep by their name, and they know my voice. Just speaks of this intimacy that, that he knows them personally and that they know him. They recognize his voice. They're not just agreeing to a concept. They know him. Not just some bunch of woolly animals, some massive sheep, but he knows each and every one of them. He calls them by name. That's what makes him a good shepherd. And even those things are, are nice as they are, but Jesus elevates it even higher. I don't think you can elevate it much higher than what we're about to read. He says in verse 15, um, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. I'm a good shepherd. So we have this idea of relationship already, but he elevates it even further, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. That's how he knows his sheep. Just let that sink in for a moment. Um, Jesus is a fantastic storyteller, it must be said. Um, he is a wonderful storyteller, and he could have used any comparison he liked any sort of uh, depth of human relationship. You know, he could have said, well, much, much like a parent loves a child or much like a, you know, a husband loves a wife or, or, or something like that. But he picks the deepest, richest, most profound relationship that he personally has experienced himself. And that is his own relationship with God the Father. And Jesus says, that's how I feel about my sheep. In order to sort of understand really, I think, the gravity of what Jesus is teaching here about being a good shepherd, we need to sort of 
zoom out a little bit, pull back a little bit. Um, and in, in John's gospel, John, uh, the gospel writer here, um, uh, picks up this theme of the father and the son, the love of the father and the son, um, quite frequently through his, his gospel presentation. Uh, makes multiple references to the father and son relationship. And we see this one here from John chapter 1, at the, right at the beginning. In the beginning, it says here, was the word, it's Jesus, the son, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. What he's saying is that the Son existed with the Father before anything else came into being, before anything else existed. And before anything existed, the Father loved the Son, and the Son loved the Father from eternity past. The most perfect, uh, the most loving uh, relationship of joy and of perfection and brilliance and satisfaction and wonder. And that, says Jesus, is how I love my sheep. That's how I relate to them. Like this. Like it was in the beginning. I'm a good shepherd. So Jesus here is the good, the good shepherd uh, who, who, who knows his sheep personally, right? He loves them deeply, and he is willing to pay the, the ultimate price if necessary, right, to give himself in order to protect them and to defend them and to keep them and to ensure that they have life and are free to flourish in complete peace. And that's the gospel, that is the Christian gospel. Because Jesus, as we read, did give himself to death. His sheep, that is us, that is you, were in mortal danger from their enemies. So Jesus, the good shepherd, steps in and he defended his people to death so that we can live. He gave himself up to death on a cross that he might take down their greatest enemies, your greatest enemies, sin death and the devil and your good shepherds took them all down as he went to the cross and not only that not only does he defend you against your greatest enemies but he then leads you into peaceful pastures right he, he leads you into the place of life he says um, earlier on in John chapter 10 I came says Jesus, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's what he came to do. And he did whatever was necessary to secure that for you. That's the gospel. So let's just pause for a moment. Is that, is that how you think of Jesus? Did you realize that's what he is all about? Did you know that's what was bound up in him being your good shepherd? What is a good shepherd? We've seen that. Second question then, why do we need one? Why do we need a good shepherd at all? Jesus is the good shepherd. We've been learning that. We are the sheep. 
And that's why we need a good shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. Uh, Left to our own devices, we read that from uh, Isaiah 53, left to our own devices, we, we don't know where to go and find life. We don't know the best place for us so that we can thrive. We don't know where to go to have life abundant. We need to be taken there by a good shepherd. That's why we need a good shepherd. We can't do it on our own. But we have to understand, I think it's important for us to know this morning, that there are other players in the market. (laughs) There are other options. Um, It's not just either a sheep on its own or a sheep with a shepherd. That's not how it works out. Look Look in verse 12, for example. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. There are other people in the mix here. Uh, What is a hired hand? Um, It it is somebody who's maybe bought in for a season. Um, Maybe lambing season or or something like that. The busy period when the weather's nice and the sun is out and it's easy going, that's when the hired hands come in. But Jesus says there is a critical difference between a hired hand and a shepherd. He says that in verse 12. A hired hand does not own the sheep. Only a shepherd owns the sheep. And when he sees the wolf coming, this is the hired hand, leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and they scatter. Or in verse 13, the hired hand flees because he cares nothing for the sheep. The hired hand just abandons the sheep. leaves them vulnerable and open to attack So you can see the relationship between the hired hand and the sheep is totally different to the relationship between the good shepherd and the sheep. Um, The hired hands have no interest really in the sheep. They just see them as a way to make money, a way to get paid. And any hint of danger or hard work or trial or whatever it is, and then they're off. They turn and run. They don't really care about the sheep. They might have that appearance for certain seasons, but they don't really care. When the pressure comes, their true colors come out. They, they, they will not go to the mat for the sheep like the good shepherd. They will not lay their lives down for the sheep like the good shepherd. They give this impression of their help, of their concern, of their presence. But the reality is they're just using the sheep to make money. Right? So why do we need a good shepherd? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. Otherwise, we will be led astray by these hired hands, these seasonal workers who are just in it for themselves. Only Jesus, the good shepherd, cares. He cares enough to to give himself for the well-being of the sheep. No one else does that. Let's get a bit more specific to try and get ourselves into this idea of a hired hand, just to open up this, this teaching from Jesus. Who or what are the equivalent, would you say, to the hired hands in in Jesus' metaphor here. Who are they for us today? Um, In the the original context when Jesus was was speaking like this, um, he was most likely referring to the spiritual leaders of the people of of Israel. Um, Spiritual leaders, particularly those who have used the people to extract from them wealth or to build for themselves power or to sort of grow influence for themselves. They are the hired hands in the original context. 
So today, as you're listening to this, it could be in some measure or other, that you or someone you know, for example, has been hurt or used or abused in some form or other by spiritual leadership, whether that's physically, emotionally, sexually, financially, in some way you've been manipulated or used. That's who Jesus was aiming at in these verses. Such people had the guise of caring for you or for people you know, but as you've so far experienced, they used you for their own ends, whatever they may have been. Jesus is not like that. He comes to bring you life that the hired hands have stolen. Perhaps we can go a little more broadly as well. I think a hired hand for us could be anyone or anything that has a major influence over, over us, controlling us or using us in some way or other, whether it's our thoughts, our emotions, our behaviors, what we do, where we go, how we spend our money, etc. There are so many people who are under this kind of manipulation or oppressive situations where life is squeezed out of you. And again, if that's you, you need to hear this. Jesus has come for you. He's come to give you life, not to take it away. It's not what he does. He's a good shepherd. But let's not think to ourselves that a modern-day equivalent to the hired hand is, is only a negative person or a bad person or a negative situation. Because we, we can all be controlled by something that sort of on the surface is a good thing. Um, take, take romance or, you know, relationship, for example, romantic relationship. Love is good. Um, romance is good. We can all agree on that. But if that's all you're thinking about, um, to the extent that it controls your happiness and your peace on, on the other person or having that other person, then, then, then maybe that relationship, rather than giving life, actually starts to zap you of life, starts to take it away from you. Your happiness goes up when the relationship's working out, and yet you become profoundly despondent and depressed if the relationship's under pressure or if it breaks up altogether. That could be the equivalent to a hired hand. Maybe for you it's not relationship. Maybe for you it's a, a career. Again, work is good. Money is good when we use it rightly. But when your peace and your security are based on how well your job is going, how quickly you progress up the ladder, how much you make every month, then it starts to control you. You're on top of the world when things are going well. You're in the depths of despair when work is not going well. That for you could be your hired hand. You end up serving your career rather than it working for you. For others, it's family. The performance of your children, perhaps, when your entire life is consumed or shaped around the happiness and well-being and success of your family, you're, you're very happy when they are healthy and doing well. 
But when something happens, if a child behaves in a way that you didn't want them to, when they make choices you train them not to do, when they fail to reach your expectations, whatever they may be, you become devastated and, and gripped by anxiety. Then you know there's a problem. Families are good. Children are great. But when you allow them to become the ultimate controlling guide in your life, that's your hired hand. I think you get the point. I hope you do. The list goes on. It could be your health. It could be your physical beauty or your strength. It could be your leisure activities, the sports and hobbies you do. It could be food. It could be sex. It could be any of these things. All good things in their right and proper places, but all have the power to dominate you and strip you of life and dictate what you should be doing. When the relationships over you fall to pieces, when your career disappoints, you're devastated. When the kids don't turn out how you hoped, when your health fails, when your beauty fades, when your strength begins to weaken and your very life is rocked, then you know you've been following a hired hand. And those things won't be there to save you when the wolves come sniffing around. But if you're listening to this this morning, and if you, if you build your life on the knowledge that you have a good shepherd, then the wolves won't get you. And if you, if you know that you belong to the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep, then you can live safe and secure and full of life see in the gospel um, we, see, we see the good shepherd laying down his life for a sheep but that wasn't it that's not where the story ends Jesus did lay his life down for the sheep but then he took it up again right in verses 17 and 18 for this reason he says um, the father loves me because I lay my life down uh, that I may take it up again no one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus, the good shepherd, chose to lay his life down for his sheep, and he chose to take it up again. No, no one forced him to do it. No greater power overcame him and compelled him to do that. He says, I do it of my own accord, of my own choice, for, out of my love for you. I've got authority to lay it down. I've got authority to take it up. Ultimately, what good is a dead good shepherd? Even if he is a good shepherd, Jesus is the good shepherd because he died and then he came back again. And that means that nothing, absolutely nothing, can stop him being your good shepherd. Not even death, because he's overcome that. He died so that we may not die. He came to life so that we might share his life with him. That's why it says, I've come, they ha may have life and life in abundance. When you understand that, when you relate to Jesus as your good shepherd, he gives you his life. And nothing can take that from you, not even your own death, not even the wolves, not the hired hands, nothing. No circumstances you face, no experiences you've had. It is yours by trusting that he is your good shepherd. Trusting him, putting your faith in him. He's your shepherd.
Nothing takes that away. So we thought about what is a good shepherd. We've, we've thought at, at length um, about why we need one and the problem of the hired hands. <laughs> Thirdly and finally then, let's ask ourselves, well, what difference does it make having this good shepherd? I think we can divide this up into three sort of um, sections, really, three answers. What difference does it make? And the way you experience the experiential, the social, and the ethical, right? How you experience it, what it, what it, what it does for you in a group, and how you live your life. They're the three zones that it makes a difference in. The first one, experiential. When you see how vulnerable you are under a hired hand, under the so-called protection of a hired hand, who has no interest in protecting you. And then you see Jesus as the good shepherd. You know that you're eternally protected, that you're always safe in him. And so this, when this starts to seep in to your sort of inner thought life, your, your, your deepest being, you'll start to notice, when he's your good shepherd, you'll start to notice that you will live in a sense of peace that is highly unusual and maybe very new to you. And it will certainly look very unusual to those outside looking in at you. And so when trouble hits, and it will do for all of us, that's just what it is to live life in a fallen world, but when trouble hits, you, you will respond with faith and hope no matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't mean it doesn't affect you, but it just means it doesn't own you. You will start to live more of a, I suppose, a settled life, one that's freed from a controlling anxiety. Jesus says elsewhere, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's what you will experience when you come to Jesus as your good shepherd. He knows what's best for you. He knows how to get you there. He's done all that's needed for you to receive it. You will start to experience that peace in your entire life. So what difference does it make in the experiences, the experiential? I suppose the second zone then that makes a difference in is, is, is the social. So this is verse 16. Have a look at that. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, says Jesus. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So when you come under the good shepherd, you will, you will join the flock, the, the, the new community that he is creating. Um, you will join others who also listen to his voice and, and follow him. And in the original uh, context of this uh, teaching in John 10, Jesus was referring to Jews and non-Jews, the, the Gentiles. And he's saying, in my flock, this new community I'm building, there will be both. And that carries on throughout the, the church, this diversity that we'll see, diversity of ethnicity and race, diversity of, of the rich and the poor, diversity of traditions. How is this possible? when the world just wants to put us all into our little 
divisions. How is this possible? Well, it's through unity, isn't it? Um, There will be one flock and one shepherd. That's how this works. All these people together confessing Jesus as their good shepherd through the gospel. And Jesus fleshes this out later in John 17 and other um, uh, writings of the apostles in the New Testament. But when you trust Jesus and when you join the flock, you will experience a powerful unity. It's the great leveler, I think, isn't it? Jesus died for you. He died for me too. It's amazing. That's what unites us together. It just reflects this power of God to save every type of person from every walk of society. That's what happens. And I would say also that the more diverse and united the church is, the more glorious and amazing it looks in the eyes of those outside. It makes a difference in how you experience life. It makes a difference in how you live with other people, particularly in the church. Thirdly and finally, it makes a difference in how you live out your life, the ethics, I suppose. Um, it says that the good shepherd lays down his life. The apostle John takes this thought a step further in his letter in 1 John 3 says this same writer by the way this is how we know what love is Jesus Christ our good shepherd laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters you see how he connects the two we we look at Jesus the good shepherd laying down his life for us thank you Jesus thank you for what you've done for us And then John continues to say, and by that same pattern, we ought to lay our lives down for one another in the same way. And so you can understand then that this sets up this sort of ethic, this this value, this way of life within the community, within the flock, this this, this ethic of of serving, of self-giving sacrifice, of preferring other people above ourselves. That's what Jesus did when he stepped down to save us. That's what we are called to do as we recognize him as our good shepherd. We give our lives, we lay our lives down for one another. That's what happens when you understand and receive him as the good shepherd and the life he offers. When we see and understand that, it sort of melts our hearts. It turns our hearts away from ourselves and our own priorities. And it turns them instead to other people, those who belong to God, those who belong to the Good Shepherd. It starts there, it flows out to all people. And so we follow him wherever he wants us to go. So my challenge to you this morning as we close out is come to the Good Shepherd. Recognize, perhaps for the first time, that you've been under the influence of a hired hand, whatever way that has looked for you. Hasn't been bringing you life, it's been zapping you of life and oppressing you. Jesus never does that. He's the good shepherd. Trust in him. And when you do, he leads you to abundant life. Let's pray.